We're going to get started. We're going to dive in. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our last week of Colossians. And uh, so excited. This is the theme for the youth camp, Seek You First the Kingdom. So yeah, please be praying uh, the next three nights um, that uh, God does incredible things. Um, one quick announcement. By the way, August is sort of our breather month, if you will, where there's not a lot going on. Uh, there's a lot coming. In September, uh, we have our life groups that are going to start. You're going to hear all about those, which will be pretty amazing. And then we're going to start doing some things with men's and with women's. And of course, our Heart of Compassion events. And so uh, August is sort of that month where we just kind of take a breather. But we do have one event coming in August, and that's the last Saturday of the month, and that is what we're calling our back-to-school giveaway. And this is something that we've really tried to do from the very beginning is, you know, during that back-to-school period of time, have an event that, uh, where we can serve students and families going back to school, and particularly those that are in need. And so we've done different things in the past, but now that we really have our Heart of Compassion ministry uh, where that Fernando and Perla lead, where we do monthly events, we just did a VBS that was incredible. And so now this ministry, Heart of Compassion, is going to lead the way for this event. And so August 28th, so like I said, we do monthly events with Heart of Compassion. There's a whole team that does that. Um, and then a, a couple times a year, we do kind of all church, you know, all hands on deck, big events. And those are held here at the parking lot. We did one for Christmas. If you were here for that, we had like 500 people. I mean, you literally couldn't even drive in the parking lot. It was uh, so packed for, because the need is out there. Um, we gave away all kinds of stuff. And so this this one is one of those all-church type things. So I want to encourage you to put that date on the calendar. If you're available, we could use you. We would love to have you participate and help serve at this event. It's going to be here on campus starting at noon. So I would imagine volunteers will start showing up somewhere around 10, but we'll give you those details uh, in the coming weeks. But it's three weeks from yesterday, um, right here in our parking lot, and we're going to be giving away uh, the emphasis is things for students going back to school. So we um, worked a deal with Tilly's, which you see their logo up there. Tilly's is giving us a huge deal, and we're getting 100 backpacks. And they're like the really nice backpacks. They're the Jan Sport, multiple colors, kids can choose. But uh, 100 students who wouldn't otherwise get to go to Tilly's, because Tilly's is kind of like for a, a kid that maybe doesn't really have resources to go to Tilly's and get a backpack is kind of a big deal, which is the point. There's much cheaper backpacks we could get, but we wanted kids to feel really special. And so um, th this, is, this is what we're going to do is give away 100 of those. And then for the smaller kids, that's for junior high, high school. And for the younger kids, we're putting together um, like some of the more cute kind of themed backpacks and other things, giveaways and things like that for those. Um, elementary school kids. And then food and groceries, like we do at all of our events, will be at this one also. So we're really pushing it out on social media and getting our community to know about this. It'll be first come, first serve, but we can serve a ton of families. So how you can help is put the date on the calendar and be available to serve. Next week, we'll have a sign up for that. Um, secondly, you can give. So sponsoring a child is $50, and that's going to give their family food, um, clothes, as well as a really nice backpack at whatever age they are. So $50 per student. You can sponsor one or multiple. Uh, and the next way you can give is clothes. We really need clothes. So any hand-me-downs, even thinking about like 
the fall, right? Um, you know, um, winter's coming, and so, you know, jackets, anything like that that you can give that's in, you know, relatively good condition um, over the next three Sundays, please bring that stuff because we could really use it for our event. Good? So cool. All right, well, let's dive in. Colossians chapter 4, and... Um, Man, we've kind of been really diving deep into this book of Colossians. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have. We've really been digging into what it looks like to have inner transformation. We've talked about like soul health, which remember like the spirit, soul, and body, and talked about the whole deal about what our soul is, our will, mind, and emotions, and how to have kind of a healthy soul and walk with that, along with the reality that we are all just like cantaloupes. Hello. Anybody here last week and worried about that I was going to cut off my hand? When I was slicing up that cantaloupe, I was slightly worried too. So thanks for praying. But, uh, but, but we really dove into the reality that God is doing a new work inside of us. Um, it's not behavior modification. It's not do's and don'ts, but it's this beautiful inner work that is happening. And so last, so, so, so now we're, we're going to finalize this series in chapter four. And I'll be honest with you, I've never preached Colossians chapter four at length because seemingly there's not kind of a lot here. The first couple of verses are kind of rich. Devote yourself to prayer and be alert. And I kind of always stop there because the bulk of chapter 4 is not really what you'd think. And it was, it'd be almost like a throwaway chapter of verses. Although it's like the whole chapter. Paul saves the whole... And Colossians is only four chapters. So you only got four to work with. So one of four is really devoted to something that is kind of like what you and I would skip over. And instead of skipping over it, I want to preach on it. Colossians chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 7. And it'll be up on the screen. And it says this. uh, Tychicus, I'm going to just butcher these names, will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending uh, Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of my own people. He and Tychicus, that's a great name, will help you with everything, tell you everything that's happening here. Aristicus, uh, who is in prison with me, sends you his greeting, and so does Mark. Barnabas' cousin, uh, you guys are totally laughing at me because I butchered that name. As you were instructed before, Mark will uh, uh, make Mark welcome for he comes your way. Justice also sends uh, his greeting. These are the only Jewish believers among the co-workers. They are, they are working with me here for the kingdom of God and what a comfort they have been. Epaphras which is also a cool name, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ sends you his greeting. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Lacedonia and that other place. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greeting and so does Demas. Please give, me, uh, please give my greeting to our brothers and sisters uh, at Lacedonia. Uh, to Nympha? Nympha? And the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Lacedonia as uh, they can read it too and say to Archippa, Archippa, Archippus, 
Archippus. Be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Father God, I thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture. What amazing stuff is in here. Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see you, Jesus. Lord, the, the living Word of God. And Lord, as Paul was, was sitting in that prison, and Lord, he was chained. Facing insurmountable difficulties in his life, he, he had the courage to, to pen this letter and, and what came to his mind were these people. And so I pray that you would open up our eyes to see what he saw. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul was kind of a softy. And it's interesting because Paul was a total beast. I mean, the guy was a stud. And even to look at his life before he got saved, I mean, he was persecuting Christians. He was having Christians killed. Kind of had just had one of those guys that had a strong stomach, you know what I'm saying? And then he got saved and just turned into a total basket case. And we see that even, and it won't be up on the screen, but I just want to read it. Acts 20, if you've never read Acts 20, it's an incredible passage because it really uh, sums up Paul's time in Ephesus. And Ephesus was one of the times that Paul stayed the longest. And what he says here is after Paul finished speaking, he was talking to the people that he had been ministering with. He knelt down and prayed with them. Then they all cried with great weeping as one after another hugged Paul and kissed him. And it's like, Paul, get a grip, right? I mean, you've only known these people for a year or two. You got to realize Paul, his life he didn't stay anywhere a very long time. I mean, the very most he stayed anywhere was two and a half years. That was Ephesus. And the rest of the time, it was like months, most of the places that he went to, and maybe a year. But, but I mean, he was, he was a traveling evangelist to the max. And yet you see this like deep affection and even his language is like, I love you and I'm praying for you and I'm with you. And it reminds me of one of the first... Uh, girlfriends that I ever had in, in high school. I was about 15, and she was a year younger than me, and I don't remember her name, which is bad, but we didn't date for very long, um, and, you know, again, this was like very innocent, hardly a relationship type thing, you know, we didn't go on any dates or anything, we just kind of like saw each other in the hallway, you know, um, and so we, we were dating for a couple of weeks, and it was going fine, you know, she's a nice girl, and all of a sudden she started um, writing me notes. And I remember specifically because these notes were like twofold. They had like a picture that she had drawn for me. It was like a sunshine and, you know, like two people like, you know, holding hands. And then on the other page, it was like this long note. Girls, did you ever write any like long notes to boys? Let's be honest. Come on. It was like a full page, but it wasn't it wasn't like, hey, I'm not going to see you for a while. Here's a letter. It was every day. She started giving me these, these, she would like run up and meet me in the hallway and she would give me this. It was like this full, I'm like, where do you have the time to do this? Full color thing. And then this long note, right? And I was reading this just like, wow, you have a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of, you're emotional. Oh my gosh. What? I remember thinking like, what did I get myself into? So then, 
This was like about two and a half weeks into this little casual dating thing. I remember at the end of, I think was her last note to me, because at that point it turned sideways. But the last note, I was reading it, and at the end of it, she goes, I remember reading it. She was like, blah, 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 right, right. And then she's like, I love you. And I remember like going, it's like kryptonite, I like dropped it. I'm like, ah, like that's a, that's deep waters. Like I, I remember reading it again. I'm like, I love you. I, I was just thinking, wow, I have really led this, this girl astray because we are definitely not at the love stage. So then fast forward the tape, Heather and I are dating. And Heather comes, and I've told this story before, but Heather comes to me at some point in our relationship, and we're not, we're not engaged yet, but we're like pretty serious. And she goes, um, so how do you feel about like the love word? And I like instantly had a flashback to the note, right? I'm like, uh-oh. And so on the spot, to totally avoid it, on the spot, I created this, this, this relationship idea. And I go, well, I see relationships. She'll tell you this. And she laughs when I tell this story. I see relationships in five stages. And I, on the spot, I was, I was amazed with myself. I'm like, there's five stages. So you meet and then you casually date and then it gets more serious and then you uh, get engaged and then you get married. And you don't say I love you till the fourth stage. <laughs> this was my way of going like drawing a, like a barrier around me and going, we can't go there yet, right? And she's like, okay. So, you know, she kind of let it, let it go for a little while. So we're not quite engaged yet, but we're, you know, getting there. And we had, you know, talked about it and looked at rings and different things like that. And I remember sitting in her room and I, and I go, you know, remember when I talked to you about that whole stage thing? She's like, yeah. And I go, honestly, I kind of made that up. And you can't really put relationships in, in, you know, stages, you know, can't put it in a box. It's more organic. And she goes, so we're not in stage four anymore? And I go, well, no, we're not really in any stage. She goes, Okay, I love you. <laughs> yes. I love you too. Paul had every excuse to be sort of like a distant, disconnected traveling evangelist. In, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've met those people. They roll in, they have a good sermon, get a few things organized, and then they bounce. And they don't have like meaningful connections because they're not there that long. And, you know, we're all like, you know, a little hesitant to let people in and who am I going to let in? Who am I going to go deep with and who can I trust? And so Paul had every reason to really not have like these deep abiding relationships. Like I said, the longest he ever stayed anywhere was two and a half years, but most places was months at a time. He knew he was going to leave. He knew he had this like broader calling and so he would be the guy that's just like really not deeply connected with very many people. And I would totally understand that. What strikes me about Colossians 4 and what I'm going to spend the whole sermon about is just like the emphasis on these people. He's in prison. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about what Jesus left, you know, him and others to, to, to move forward. And he spends the whole chapter just just celebrating these people that he had these deep, abiding, meaningful connections with. And it's like every place Paul goes and everywhere he, 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 everything he talks about, he's always highlighting these people that have been an integral part 
of his life. And I think at the end of the day, we have to realize that Paul was a part of the way. And this is the first slide that I want to highlight, is that the way, which is Christianity, and that was what Christianity was called before it was called Christianity, Jesus didn't, didn't come to create Christianity. He came to just create followers of Jesus and like, let's take over the world. It's going to be amazing. We called it Christianity. And first it was called the way. And the way had a very distinct attribute that set it apart from all other religious groups. And we see it happen in Acts chapter 2. And this is not where, where, where Christianity was called Christianity, but it was where the way was formed, right? Jesus said, go, up into the upper, go into the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, something awesome is going to happen. And they didn't know what it was, but when the Holy Spirit came, not only did people get saved, but more importantly, the Bible says that they were all in one accord in the upper room, that there was this connection that took place that was so supernatural. And what we know now is it's a word called koinonia. And koinonia is our word for fellowship. And have you ever heard church been called like the fellowship? You know, this is our fellowship. That word's used a lot. It's a horrible word to use for the word koinonia because they hardly even mean the same. But that's our word for the word koinonia. But this was what was birthed when the Holy Spirit came. It was something that was not available to the planet until the Holy Spirit came. It's the very first time that we saw when believers get together and God in the person of the Holy Spirit comes and is a part of that amazing thing, there is something supernatural that takes place in that body and that's what Jesus came to impart onto the earth as a vehicle for his son Jesus and that is the church. Even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's not a building. It's not a servant. Servant, you know, a service, right? It, it, it's not a nonprofit. It's not an organization. It is a body of many members, right, coming together with Jesus at the center of it, and they have this fellowship, this koinonia, that even the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. It is beautiful. The challenge is our word for fellowship doesn't begin to describe it. Um, and if we're not careful, we can, we can make something that was supernatural feel a little surface level. We can take something that was meant to be so powerful that even the gates of hell can't prevail against it. And we kind of settle for something that's a little more casual, a little more superficial relationships, right? Or we just kind of like, we come and go, and it's this kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm a part of this group, and we have church, and we do some events, and it's kind of cool, and there's some, I've had some, you know, some relationships where I, you know, know some people's names, and it's just my fellowship. And what Jesus meant when he said go into the upper room because when the Holy Spirit comes you're going to encounter something that's going to change the world and instantly change the whole city it was so much deeper than that and so much more meaningful and so much more powerful and so at the end of the day I want to talk to you about the sweet sauce of heart church and contrary to popular belief it's not the amazing preaching <laughs> it's not our anointed worship it's not even your good looks. It's the body. It's amazing. 
And, uh, you know, I, I think if, if, if you're new or maybe haven't been a, a part of a fellowship like that, and I've even heard this from, 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 from some people that have been a part of Heart Church and still are, that kind of like a lot of the hugging and then like the I love you, brother, and I love you, sister, is like a little, whoa, right? Like, wow, you guys are really loving, right? <laughs> It's like, man, what's the deal with all the love? Like, I'm feeling the love, but man, this is a little strong. And again, it's a very unique thing, isn't it? And, 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 and if we're not careful, we can think like maybe, wow, that's like a little superficial, you know? It's like, man, it, it can't really be that deep, right? Because who has relationships that are that deep, right? I mean, so how, is that even, how do you even do that? I don't know. It's the sweet sauce of our community. It's the thing that, above all things, I will fight for. And, and to be honest with you, it's the challenge of growth. And it's the beautiful thing about growth. Because um, the bigger we get, the more dynamics we have, the more things we have going on, the more leaders we have, it's that thing that can that can easily just sort of be, be like something that we had in the past when we were really small. But now we're just more of like a corporation. It's like a well-oiled machine. And I'll tell you, I will fight tooth and nail to make sure that that never happens. Because you are the body. And you are changing my life. And it is amazing and Heather and I, when we started this church, you are what we prayed for. Not because you're like a bunch of people and we're filling a room, but because of the sweet fellowship and connections and relationships that we authentically and genuinely have with each of you. And it's amazing. It's amazing. So I want to talk to you about being family. Because I like that word better than fellowship. I think it speaks to it way better. Um, and, so, and so you hear us a lot talk about family. And, you know, Philip's back here clapping because he's just like a walking hug and, and exemplifies this better than anyone. Um, and, and it's what he and I dream, dreamt about when we were talking about the church. It's just like, man, we want to be a place where, where people feel loved and connected with and valued. And, and if you're somebody that's uncomfortable with that, then you're going to be really uncomfortable at our church. But if, if, if there's a reason to be uncomfortable, that's what I want it to be. If there's a reason to be uncomfortable at church, I don't want it to be because of the high expectations we put on people, because of the, you know, the perfect faces, or, or, or as Alex says, masks that we all wear, because this is church. Like, I don't want that to be the reason why you're uncomfortable. I don't want that to be here at all. I want you to be uncomfortable because it's like, man, those people, they just really seem to love me, and they love hugging me, and I don't know why, because I don't feel hug- lovable, and I don't feel huggable, but when I go there, I receive that, and so I'm uncomfortable. And if that's why you're uncomfortable. Man, that's amazing. <laughs> so I have three ideas. The first idea is this. Healthy families foster intimacy. Healthy fo- families foster intimacy. And, you know, I mean, again, this is a tough one because we all struggle with intimacy. We all have intimacy issues. We just do. 
We live in the world. And we all have those wounds and those places where it's just like, I don't know how intimate, how vulnerable I'm going to be. And we're all on a journey. And that's the beautiful thing about families. Wherever you're at, it's okay. It's great. But, but a healthy family fosters this. Like, let's, let's continue to move towards intimacy, towards vulnerability, towards authentic, authenticity towards leaving that, taking that mask down and going, like, this is me. This is who I am. And, and I want to see you for who you are because you're amazing and you're beautiful and, um, and I love you. I love you. Did you know that God reserves a special part of himself to be revealed exclusively in community? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Like there's an aspect of who God is that can only be experienced in community. And you guys know the verse in Matthew 18, and we're going to dive into it a little bit more later on, so don't put it up on the screen. But, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. And, and, that, and that's interesting because we know that you by yourself, with the Holy Spirit inside of you, God's there. Like, you don't need to be with me or with Alex, right, or Oscar. Like, you don't need to be with somebody to have God with you. Wherever you go, he's with you. But where two or three are gathered in his name, in that quinity of fellowship, there's a manifest presence of God that's there uniquely in that moment. It's the way God designed it. It's when Adam, it's why Adam was all by himself with the animals and he's naming all of them and he's having a great time and God's like, it's not good for you to be alone. There's something special when we have more than one person and I'm in the middle of it that's beautiful because when we're together and and you see me and I see you, the real you, then, then we see God. We experience him because, because he's in me and he's in you. And so when we humble ourselves and we say, this is who I am, then God is in the middle of it. And it's incredible. And unfortunately, so many Christians miss out on that because it's really difficult to be seen. It's really difficult to humble ourselves and go, yeah, this is me. And I'd love to take the time to see you. And in those moments... And, and, and it's why it's so powerful when somebody shares their story, right? Have you ever been in those moments where, where somebody's just open it up and be like, hey, can I, can I just share my story about, about the things that I've been through and about the way that God's met me in, the, in these powerful moments? And do you ever just feel like the, you know, like the goosebumps and you're just like, wow, surely the Lord is in this place? That's why. Because you get to see somebody. And it's beautiful. And that's the way God designed it. But this requires vulnerability, and I did church for a long time without it. And I was a really unhealthy person because of it. As a pastor, not in this church, but years ago, I did church for a very long time, and I didn't know how to be vulnerable. And so I missed out. I had a lot of friends because I'm a friendly guy, but I didn't have intimate connections. And so people didn't see me because I didn't let them. Frankly, I didn't see myself. I was just living life, right? And just doing my thing and numbing the parts of me that hurt too bad to look at. And I was good at just kind of doing the thing. Anybody with me? You're just good at like just doing life and you just get by and, and people just get to know you as that person. 
but there's a whole nother you. And I don't mean like some dark secret side of you. I mean, if that's the case, let's get that to the light. But there's a whole like, like how you really feel and your insecurities and doubts and all of that stuff that's like a part of you. And it's just easy to just numb that stuff and never go deep with people. Anybody with me? It's just easy to live there. And I did that for a very long time. And what ended up is the, the, the relationships that I thought were deep really didn't end up being that deep. And I ended up in a place that was really unhealthy. And I had to get rescued from that. And, and, and the people that God had brought me to surround me and be in my life so I never get to, down that road... I didn't utilize because I just stayed surface level. I made it just the fellowship. We're just part of a fellowship. This is just like, we just have friends and hang out and we do events and it's super cool. And I miss the sweet sauce. And so at Heart Church, we're not going to miss the sweet sauce. It's going to punch you in the face until you finally say, okay, fine. I'll have real relationships. I love you. Okay, fine. You're right. I love you. There's no stages. It's just, I love you. Family is a safe place, a place of being known, accepted, and loved. And I wrote this, um, learning to value people for who they are instead of who we want them to be. And I'll tell you, there's a part of the community that fosters this. There's, a part, there's, a, there's an aspect to a community that fosters intimacy that has to have this present. This is a place where, where we don't see you for what you could be. We love you for who you are. Something special happens when we stop trying to control or change people and we realize that our role, don't miss this, our role is to be a catalyst for the incredible work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Our role is to be the catalyst for the Holy Spirit to change people. And, and, and so often, especially in marriage relationships, hello, we, we think that we're the change agent instead of the catalyst. And newsflash, <laughs> you can't change anyone. Listen, you got enough on your plate just with you, much less trying to get something done for somebody else. And so we end up being a catalyst. We're a catalyst. And that starts with, I love you. I accept you for who you are, not for who I want you to be or who I think you need to be. But this is an environment where you are loved. And for religious people, that's hard because people come in with baggage and things that maybe would be quote-unquote sin. Now, obviously, we're not going to let people like hurt other people in our community. But in general, we are on a journey. And we're not here to call people out because they're not holy enough. We're here to say, I love you. God loves you. He's doing something in, in your life. Let me be a catalyst to showcase Jesus and who he is. And when you see him, something will happen on the inside and you'll change. And you'll be different, and it'll be amazing, and we'll all celebrate that. That's what we do here. Gosh, that's good stuff. This opens up a broad place for people to live. And, and, and Heather and I learned this in, in our um, counseling where they were picking us up off the floor and, and we realize that when we, when we delight in one another, when we value one another, when we see one another for who they are and not who they should be, that it creates a broad place for somebody to live. And when you're able to live in a broad place, 
It is the transforming work of God that enters that place because you're not confined by all the legalistic thing, the expectations on you and all of the shame and the guilt of, I didn't measure up, but there's just like, you know, live in this broad place where God is. He's drawing you to himself. He's drawing you to the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And when we let the Holy Spirit do his thing, it's beautiful because he is great at transforming people. We are not. The second idea is that family, healthy families come at a cost. So taking a look back at that passage, and we're going to put it up on the screen, Matthew chapter 18, and this is where, you know, it's a beautiful passage where, where, where God says that where multiple people are gathered, I'm there. So go ahead and throw it up there. And it says this, if two believers agree on earth about anything they ask within the will of God, and I, I like that because, again, this is not name it and claim it, it's just say whatever, within the will of God, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. And it's almost like, like Jesus, because this is Jesus talking. It's almost like Jesus is beckoning us, like inviting us, like, come on, try it. Risk it. Don't, don't hold back in this community because, because I've called you to this incredible life of intimacy and vulnerability and deep, meaningful relationships. Quit isolating yourself and quit, quit allowing fear and like the fear of the past. And well, this is what happened last time. And like God is saying like, no, seriously, try it because it's amazing. So, so Peter was in the same place that, that, that a lot of us are, are when we hear about this kind of invitation. Because the very next verse, <laughs> Peter, this is, this is Peter's response to what Jesus just said. He's like, it's amazing because I'm there in the middle of it. And Peter goes, um, so then how many times do I have to forgive? I mean, we're talking about this like amazing community and you're saying like I have to be vulnerable and stuff and I could let people into my life. And so you just, you just like see the wheels spinning in Peter's mind. So how many, how many times do I have to forgive and let it go? Let's just land there for a minute. Okay, I have heard so many people talk about how they've, oh, I've forgiven them. But they've clearly not let it go. It's like consuming your life. Don't talk to me about forgiveness. You're in a shackles. So just said, you know, said the forgiveness word. Well, I've forgiven them. And I moved on. You're living like a bitter life because you've totally not let it go. And you haven't truly forgiven. I love this. Peter's like, how many times? So like, because I want what you said about the whole like two or three. How many people do have to be there, Jesus? Like two or three. And then you're there and it's amazing. And before that, he said, whatever you bind on heaven will be. So Jesus is like, it's amazing. So Peter's like, okay, I want that. I want amazing. But there's other people involved when we do that, which makes it hard, Jesus. So how many times? And we know the answer, you know, Jesus gives him, which is just like a random, like 70 times seven. Like in other words, you're missing it, Peter. Like there's no end. You can't just cut the line and say, no, I'm done with people because that's the whole point is that we dive in. Why? Because it comes at a cost. 
And I think that if we're honest, we're conditioned to have sort of these convenience-based relationships. And, and I'm thankful that Heart Church, by and large, doesn't have those relationships. And I think that, by and large, I'm preaching to the choir here, and we are going deep. But in general, in life, we're sort of conditioned to have convenience-based relationships. Like, you know, as long as this relationship works for me, and unfortunately, this has even seeped into marriage. It's like, as long as this is working for me, we're good. But then the minute it's not, it's like, hey, apparently we're now two different people. And so maybe we should just kind of... And it's just like, no, not just for marriage, but like in church life, Jesus calls us the body of Christ. And like a pinky doesn't just decide like, you know what? It's not really working for me on this hand. You know, it's like the ring finger keeps knocking into me and it's just not cool, you know? And I've had a conversation and he just doesn't listen. And so I'm just going to bounce. Boink. Right? And it's like, wait a minute. What's just happened? Is our, is our family stronger than a disagreement? Is our family stronger than an offense or a frustration? Can we count on one another? And, and I wrote, as I was writing my notes, I wrote a gigantic yes with exclamation points in red underlined. Yes, we are. In fact, it's what makes us better. I'll tell you what, when we have the courage to dive into relationships that aren't always easy... It's easy to love somebody that you hardly know. In fact, it's easy to admire somebody you hardly know. They're perfect. They have no flaws, right? And then you start getting close and you're like, oh, you have a huge pimple in your nose. Do something about that. Gosh. Like, wow. But before, it was just, you're amazing, right? And like the, the closer you get to me, which hopefully will happen because I want to know all of you intimately and deeply, like authentically as friends. And the closer you get to me, the more you'll know, like I've got lots of pimples. I'm not perfect. But that's the beautiful thing about following Jesus is that we get to be real and, and we get to sharpen one another. You don't sharpen anybody from a distance, You don't sharpen anybody because it's like you casually know them and you have a phone call every once in a while. You sharpen them because you get into the trenches and you go, come on, let's work this out. Come on, let's have some conversations. Let's do this. Let's be real. Let's be friends. I love you. I'm committed to you. I'm in. And when you feel that from somebody else, you're like, all right, well, if you're in, like, I'm kind of in then. Let's go. It's amazing. I believe, I wrote this down. I believe the enemy has been lying to some of you about your place in this family. And I I felt like that was prophetic. And I promise you, no one gave me any faces. So I don't know who that is. But I just want, I want to say to you, if the enemy has been lying to you about your place in this community, don't let him steal the most beautiful gift he's given you. You are celebrated here. You are valued here. We need you, and you need us. Lastly, healthy families release the anointing. Why do you think the enemy fights so hard to keep churches disunified? I mean, how many churches have we ever heard about that just like imploded? Like it was, it had a heyday. It was great. And then, 
for, for a variety of different reasons. Church splits, you know, groups of people just randomly leaving because of a dispute, a frustration. And it's not just in the body of Christ, but it's in our actual families. I mean, the enemy hates unity. The enemy hates of fellowship. He hates it. Why? Because it's the most powerful thing on the planet. Do you know that the Roman soldiers had a cadence, had a unity about them that was so powerful it crippled bridges? When the, this is a true story. When the Roman soldiers would march, they had a cadence about their walk that was so powerful that when they would cross a bridge, they would have to dismantle their, 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 their um, lineup and their cadence so that they weren't marching in unity because they didn't want to cripple the bridge. This is the power of unity. And it's not sameness. We're not trying to get you to look like us and believe like us. And there's no like statement of faith that you have to recite to like be in line. This is the community of fellowship that we're talking about. That like, I'm with you. I see you. I know you. I'm in it. I'm committed to you and to us. And it is so incredibly powerful. And I want to end with this um, Psalm chapter 133. And um, I'm going to read the whole thing but for the sake of time, I'll leave out just a, a few verses in there, but it's an incredible passage. It says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I want to stop and pause just for a minute because as I was, as I was meditating on this, I was kind of drawn to the word dwell because it's one thing to be in unity for like a moment in time or like an event, like, hey, let's come together and all be unified. And it's a whole other thing to have that connection and that unity when we dwell together. No, like we live together. This is, we do life together. And it's in the rhythm of that that we have unity. And it's amazing. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard of Aaron, consecrating, this is the um, amplified translation, which my mom loves, consecrating the whole body. Let's say this last line together. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. Where's the blessing? It's in unity. Think together togetherness. There is an anointing that is so incredible. And I think we felt it during that last song. I mean, it's the beautiful thing about worship is it kind of unites us in a, in a unique way, right? In those moments where we just, we're singing it out. And there's a unity of faith. Because I'll tell you what, there's nothing more powerful when your faith combines with your faith, combines with your faith and my faith, and we come together and go, come on, let's create an atmosphere that breaks chains, where the sick is healed and the captives are set free. This is the atmosphere that we get to have at Heart Church. And it doesn't just happen at church. It happens at small group. And it happens when we're playing volleyball and we're playing basketball and we're hanging out and, 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 and discussing the things of God. But our faith comes together. And it's not generic faith of like, yeah, we believe the same scriptures. It's faith because I know you. I see you. You see me. And we believe for one another that God is doing something in our midst. So come on, let's, let's capture that atmosphere at Heart, Heart Church and be the body. And I'll tell you what, when our kids see that, yeah. come on, that's what we pass on. 
We're not passing on rituals and routines with them. We're going, no, there's something here. And your friends try to get it and gangs try to get it and all these cliques and stuff and that you want to be included and you want to be in the in crowd. And I'll tell you, there's nothing like the in crowd at church. And it's called the body of Christ, that koinonia of fellowship. And that trumps anything that you could find in these dysfunctional cliques at school. And you see it in our home, and you see it in our church, and you see it in our kids' classrooms. You feel it. It's tangible because it's the Holy Spirit. And you can't have it without the power of the Holy Spirit in the middle of it. Who's with me? Who's with me? Come on, let's build that together. Let's build that together. It's so beautiful. And I want to close with this, and I want you to know this. You each of you play just as significant as significant of a role as I do or as Adam does or as Phil does or Danny or anybody here. You individually play such a significant role in this family to say, no, we're building this. We're building this so that when people come and we, they walk in the, war, in the door, they're going to be like, whoa. Now, I, I get like I'm blown away by the I loves you and the hugs, but there's like something else here that's behind all that that's amazing. And I can't put my finger on it, but I want it. I can't put my finger on it, but I want it. I'd love for you to tell me about your faith. Father God, I thank you for this body, this fellowship, this family. And the calling on our lives to come together and say, Lord Jesus, we, we welcome your presence right in the middle. God, we are committed to this family, to each individual. As you help us champion one another's calling and walk, and faith journey, Jesus. And we just say it's beautiful. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.